Well, good morning, everyone. Let's try that again. Good morning, everyone. How about those who's? The game yesterday was exciting. And uh, friends of ours, actually through City Church, invited us to go to the game with them. And we had a great time. But I've learned something about going to college sports. As one of my children said the last time they were there at John Paul Jones Arena, when we lost to Virginia Tech, they said they aged 20 years in the last minute of that game. How many of you have ever experienced that? You just feel like you're aging. And even when you win, you just think, oh my goodness. Well, last evening was one of, or yesterday afternoon was one of those games, but it was so good to realize that UVA has won the ACC championship. It's awesome. And unfortunately, Duke won yesterday. Now this morning, we are going to continue in the sermon series that we've been involved with called Get Real. And the Get Real sermon series has been for the purpose of us taking a true in-depth look at our lives. We've taken a look at getting real spiritually. We've taken a look at getting real emotionally and relationally, these key areas of our lives. And this morning, we're going to take a, another look at our lives, and we're going to get real again. Now, in line with this, we are going to take a look at two areas of our lives from the Scriptures, and they are physical and financial. Physical and financial. And the reason why I would like to do this is I have found in my own life, and maybe you have in yours, is there are very few changes I've ever made in my life unless someone kind of squared up to me and spoke truth into my life. Well, that's what we're going to do this morning. And I am well aware at the outset of this sermon that this is going to be a difficult sermon for many of us to really want to square up to ourselves. You know, the Bible presents itself as a mirror. It presents itself many ways, but the story of God through Scripture presents itself as a mirror, and the Scriptures call us to stand in front of that mirror and to take a clear look at who we are and how we are walking with Jesus. So, with this... I want to say, as we move towards Get Real, we're going to begin with taking a look scripturally and in the biblical story of our physical bodies. Now, as we do this, here's my caveat that's important to understand. If you are not a follower of Jesus, I would love for you to listen. I know that we have many people that attend City Church and you have not made the decision yet, although I'm going to encourage you to do it before the end of this service, you have not yet made the decision to follow Jesus. Here's what I want to say. Please listen, but this does not apply to you. Now, you may see some wisdom in it, and if you do, please follow the wisdom. What this message is about is for those people who have made the choice to follow Jesus, and you would call yourself a Christian. You would call yourself a follower of Jesus. 
And at City Church, our mission is simple. We are calling people to follow Jesus and to serve others. Follow Jesus. Serve others. And if you've made the decision to follow Jesus, I am challenging you to stay tuned in this morning. I'm challenging you. Where we're going to begin is we're going to begin with our physical bodies. And again, if you are not a follower of Jesus, the cool thing is you're going to get to look under the hood this morning of the life of a Jesus follower. You're going to get to hear about where the rubber actually hits the road. And so for those of us that are followers of Jesus again, let's leave our hearts open as we move forward into this sermon. We're going to begin with a scripture taken from the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. I'm going to read it out loud, and this scripture applies to our physical bodies. I'm going to read it out loud. I would like for you to read along quietly. Here's what scripture says. Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Can you say with me that last little bit, that last little sentence? Are you ready? Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Wow. When we look at that, for some of us, and we think about honoring God with our bodies, what does that look like? What does it look like? Well, before we get there, what we have to understand is the context of this verse. You will notice when you read it that it's from the book of 1 Corinthians. In other words, a guy by the name of Paul, he's well known as the Apostle Paul, who was someone that met Jesus in resurrected form, Jesus radically transformed his life. The Apostle Paul was prior to becoming the Apostle Paul was a guy named Saul who was one of the leaders of the Jewish movement of Jesus' day. He meets Jesus in resurrected form and his life is radically transformed and now he is the pastor and he is writing a letter to a church in the city of Corinth. Now this becomes key. Corinth was a city that would parallel Las Vegas. <laughs> it's a city where when you would go there, it was sort of like Broadway, Hollywood, the party scene of Miami Beach, and the economy of the Roaring Twenties. People are getting rich. People are going there, business is booming, things are amazing, but people are living reckless, moral lives. We would call it debauchery. So not only are people getting wealthy, they're getting rich, they are living morally off the chain. And what's incredible is that just a few years after Jesus is dead, buried and resurrected, this guy named the Apostle Paul pioneers a church in this city of Corinth and in the middle of this city where people are living these immoral, self-centered, self-serving, fleshly-driven lives, there's this church that begins to get traction. 
There's this little group of people that are known as Christians. They're, called as, they're known as these people that follow this resurrected Christ. These people that follow this guy named Jesus of Nazareth. And in the middle of all of this bedlam, there's this church. And Paul writes a letter to these people. And in that letter, here's what he says. Your body is to be used for Jesus. That your body is something that we are called to honor God with our bodies. What does that look like, especially in Corinth? Because the idea would be, is if it works in Corinth, it'll work anywhere. My goodness, if it works there and Jesus can transform lives in Corinth, what you have to understand, the people in the first century, as they heard about a church in Corinth, they couldn't believe it. Even in Corinth, Jesus is transforming lives. So what does it look like, practically, to honor God with my body? Well, in the church that I first came to faith in, Honoring God with your body meant there was a list of things you do not do. In other words, it was what we would avoid. And I remember going into this church and the list was loud and clear. Not only that, there was a certain haircut that made you look more like Jesus. Not only that, I noticed something. All the women had their hair cut just like the pastor's wife. It was interesting. The idea of honoring God with your body was this kind of thing where you looked a certain way and then you avoided certain things. And I'm all for that. Look, honoring God with my body means there are certain things that in Corinth I walk away from. If I am a follower of Jesus and I know what they are, you want to know why? God will convict you. He's faithful. The Holy Spirit will knock on your heart and as you're moving towards something, God will say, don't do that. Don't do that. And it's not that God's trying to condemn you or punish you. It's just that God's way is best. So there are certain things we avoid. The other thing that I think is more important or equally important is this. Honoring God with my body means what do I participate in? If I'm avoiding certain things, what are the things that I'm participating in with my body? What does this look like? Well, here's a thought that I have for all of us that struck me as I was thinking about this practically. Would you take a moment and look at your hands? Look at them. Do you know every set of hands is unique, totally unique. Now I also want you to look at your feet. Don't take shoes off. We don't want to have to run out of here. Leave them on. But I want you to think about your hands and your feet. Do you know that the Bible says about our bodies is that your hands and my hands are literally the hands of Jesus, and your feet and my feet are the feet of Jesus. And so I want you to think about this. My hands 
and feet bring Jesus' hope and healing to the people of Charlottesville and the surrounding counties. That's what it looks like to honor God with your body. Yes, it means that I walk away from certain things, but I begin to view my body in a very unique way. That could it be that God calls your hands, my hands, your feet, your feet, to literally be for many people the hands and the feet of Jesus, that when we walk in with our physical bodies, that God is represented in us and through us. Do you know the Newer Testament calls you an ambassador? That you are a literally, you're physically an ambassador for Jesus. And when you show up somewhere physically, you are representing Christ. So again, to honor God with my body means that I look at my hands and I look at my feet and I recognize this, that God is calling me to be His representative. Now, obviously, it does not mean I take the place of Jesus. But what it does mean is that I have a view of my physical reality in that way. That my hands and feet bring Jesus' hope and healing to the people of Charlottesville. Now, here's what I know. I know when some of us think about our physical bodies, we hate them. We hate them. Because I know that culture comes against us with a ferocity about what your physical body has to be in order to be right. I want to explain something to you. That is from the enemy of your soul. Please understand that if you're sitting here this morning and you are torn up about your physical body, that the enemy of your soul would love to come after you. Want to know why? Here's what the Bible tells me. You are created in the image of God. And because of that, the enemy wants you to hate your... Do you know that? The enemy wants you to hate your physicality. And what I'm saying is this morning, don't do that. View your physicality as your hands and your feet, whatever God's equipped you with, that you can utilize that to bring hope and healing to other people. Now on top of this, there's a great verse that the Apostle Paul, the guy we mentioned earlier, wrote to one of the pastors he was mentoring in the Newer Testament, and this younger pastor is a guy by the name of Timothy. He writes two letters to him in the book of 1 Timothy, and then of course 2 Timothy. But in the book of 1 Timothy, I want you to listen to what Paul writes to Timothy. Here's what he writes. 1 Timothy 4.8. Here's what Paul says. For physical training is of some value. Wow. So taking care of our physical bodies has value. But Paul goes on to write to Timothy, but godliness has value for all things. Holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And so when we look at our bodies, just think of it this way. That what God's looking for in your body and my body is that that would reflect in a way of godliness. That we would carry ourselves in such a way that has eternity in view and not just this world. Now as I've been thinking this through, 
and I've been processing this in my own life, here's what I believe. That godliness should interview, or let me put it this way, that godliness should inform how I view my body, not culture. And godliness should view how I see myself, not Corinth. Here's what I'll tell you. If you're looking to culture to somehow inform you about your body, I promise you that's a moving target. What's in fashion today, believe me, in six months will be out of fashion. You ever notice that? You get the perfect outfit, right? You're so happy. And in six months, you're going to the mall. Because someone said, in culture, it's not the right thing anymore. How dare you wear that? It's the same with our physical bodies. So here's what I've determined for my own life when I think about honoring God with my body, and it's the health, it, it is the sort of theme for City Church in 2018, and it's this health is the goal. Health. I'm not going to take cues from culture about my physical body. What I'm going to do, though, is if what Paul said at the beginning is true, what he wrote to the Corinthian church is true, then if my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and my body is called to honor God, that's what Paul says, honor God with your body, then what's going to be sort of my thing is I'm going to move towards physical health. That's what I feel called to in my life. What does it look like to live healthy? And listen, health is the standard, not physical attractiveness. Do you get this? Because culture will say you need to look a certain way to order. No, nope, that's not how this works. I believe I'm called towards health. And if that's the case, then I'm going to look at my physical body and say, what is it going to take? To move towards health in my life. Well, here's a couple of things I know. I'm going to have to eat well. And can you believe this? I might even have to oh, exercise. But please hear me. I believe that God calls us in this direction. So my body image is not fashioned by, it's not formed by culture. It's this, my hands, my feet are here to bring hope and healing to the people of Charlottesville, so are yours. Your body is the, is the temple of the Holy Spirit, so is mine. And if I'm going to honor God with my body, yes, that means I'm going to avoid certain things, but because I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm going to participate in other things. And in the midst of all of that, I will seriously look at my life and say, what does it look like in order for this body to move towards health? I'm never going to get it perfect. I'm never going to get it 100% right. But if I'm going to honor God with this body, I'm going to move in that direction. For some of us, it'll mean just a little bit of a step. Taking that step to honor God with my body. Moving towards health is the goal. Now let's move to the second topic for this morning. Finances. And some of you are going. The first part was bad enough. Now we have to talk about the next part. But I would like to speak to us into my own life about finances. 
What does the Bible have to say about it? And most importantly, what does Jesus have to say about it? And again, listen. If you are not a follower of Jesus, please listen in. Please follow along. This does not apply to you. But if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, what we're going to talk about next, just like with the physical, we're going to now speak towards the financial. This applies to you and it applies to me. What did Jesus say? Let's look. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Here's what Jesus says. Do not store up for yourselves. What's the next word? Treasures. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves, what's the next word? Treasures, where? In heaven. Where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. What wisdom? Now, Jesus is not saying, be ludicrous with your financial discipline. It's not what he's saying. But you see, Jesus is speaking about treasures. What do I value? Where do I put the emphasis of the stuff that I protect? What does that look like? My treasures. Here's what Jesus says. Treasures are temporal. Treasures are vulnerable. And if we put our emphasis, if we treasure what's this side of heaven, and that's our focus, and that's what we're looking at, what we're going to find, according to Jesus, is that it's not safe. It's not safe. I was thinking very briefly about Bitcoin. How many of you kind of watched Bitcoin in the news? How many of you don't have a clue what Bitcoin is? Bitcoin is what's called cryptocurrency. It's this sort of a currency that someone began. No one really knows who began it, but it began at so many cents per coin, and it climbed all the way up to $19,600 for a Bitcoin. It made this unbelievable trajectory, and all the investment people were talking about it. This past summer, I was with someone that worked for Goldman Sachs, and they were talking about how even they're trying to figure it out and get involved because it's got this trajectory, and you know that Bitcoin dropped 20% in just a couple of days. Boom. And all of these people that were saying, Bitcoin's the answer. Get into Bitcoin. Interesting. The voice of Jesus is clear. My goodness, it's not safe. Not safe. So where do we put our treasures? I remember talking to a guy in Charlottesville once, brilliant guy. He runs an investment group here in town. And you know what they invest in? They invest in properties in college towns where tuition is going up and so is enrollment. That's what they do. They look all over North America and they invest in college towns, university towns, where enrollment's going up and so is tuition. They buy properties. And he was talking about the returns that they are getting for their investments. Very fascinating. 
But here's what Jesus says. Where do you invest? Where are you investing? Are we investing in things financially that are moving towards eternity? Or is everything that you invest in about the here and now financially? Where do we invest? Jesus talks so clearly about treasures. He talks about the danger of treasures being completely placed here with no thought of what it looks like to invest treasures in a kingdom that advances things towards eternity. And then Jesus says this, Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Here's what Jesus says. Let's listen. For where your, what's the next word? Treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so in other words, if I say my heart is with Jesus, maybe I'd want to say this, you know what, my goodness, I get what Jesus is saying and I don't invest in the kingdom of God at all. I don't give. I don't. My treasure, well, well, I don't want to talk about that, but Jesus, let's talk about all the Bible verses that I read each week in you version. Great thing. The other thing is, Jesus, you know what? If you go to my Spotify or my Pandora on my smartphone, everything has Bethel music and Hillsong and worship. And, you know, that's, you know, Jesus, I'm just trying to say. Here's what Jesus says Jesus says, I will know where your heart is by where you invest. I will know. Because there's something about money that speaks to the soul in the center of who I am. It speaks to it. And I love Martin Luther, who's the famous reformer of the Protestant movement, where he said this, he said, the last thing to get converted in a man is his wallet. Interesting. And when we look at it, though, Jesus stands in front of us, and here's what he says. He says, listen, I know where your heart is by where your treasure is. Where are you investing? Where does your money go? So what we're going to do just for the next couple of moments is you were handed a poll when you came through the door. Now, as I mentioned, this whole message series, the whole sermon series is about get real, looking at where you're at physically, financially, spiritually, relationally, emotionally, all of that, the important things of the life of a follower of Jesus. Now, with that, you've got a poll, and if you need a pen or a poll, raise your hand. We've got people that are serving very quickly that will hand out those for you. And so at this moment, just raise your hand if you need a pole or a pen, and you will self-assess yourself. You will self-assess yourself. So if you'd go ahead and raise your hand at this time if you need a pole, and I'm going to ask that you would take it right now. Take the next two to three minutes, take the next two to three minutes to read through the poll. And to go ahead and take it and assess yourself as to where you're at physically and financially. So go ahead and do that at this time. Go ahead.
Thank you for taking the time to do that. What else has been very helpful for us as people have been exiting city, for the past couple of weeks, there have been people that have been kind enough to leave behind the self-assessment, the poll that they have taken. And it's been very helpful and insightful for us to figure out what it will look like for the, the pastoral leadership of City Church to help us in, in understanding and growing in certain areas of our lives. And so for the first week, we had well over 400 polls or assessments handed in. That was so helpful for us to see how people viewed themselves spiritually and where they're at. And then last week, we took a look at relational and emotional, and we had a few hundred turned in. Huge help to us. And if you would be so kind and if you would be open to as you exit City this morning, if you wouldn't mind handing those in just so we can get a sense of where things are at in our lives physically and financially as well. But as we look at our text, and we look at what Jesus says about finances, I think it's so mission critical, if we are a follower of Jesus, to look at what Jesus has to say. The next verse that we're going to look at is Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. And here's what Jesus says about finances. He says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and what's the next word? The devil. Wouldn't you expect that that's what would be there? Wouldn't you expect that when Jesus is teaching, he would say this, you cannot serve. By the way, the word for serve literally means to be enslaved by. It's a slave. It's the idea of you cannot be a servant of. You cannot be overcome by. You cannot have a master. You cannot serve two. You would think Jesus would say what? You cannot serve both God and the devil. Am I right? It's not what he says. Here's what Jesus says. You cannot serve both God and money. And by the way, that word for money can also mean stuff. Stuff that money can buy. And so the question is, for a follower of Jesus, who's my master? Who am I serving? Who am I enslaved by? The idea here is from Jesus is simply this. It's the idea that in this world, the challenge that I will face, it's not like the enemy or the devil or Satan's not against me, but the challenge for me will be what's going to be my master. Is it going to be Christ or is it going to be stuff? Is it going to be money? What will I serve? What it's going to look like? And then Jesus goes on to say as he continues this thought on money, we drop down to Matthew chapter 6, verse 32. And here's what Jesus says when he's talking about stuff and he's talking about money. Here's what he says. The pagans run after all of these things and your heavenly Father knows that you, what's the next word? Need them. 
You see, what I have found is the tension in the lives of all of us that follow Jesus is that I want Jesus to be my master, but I feel the tension with stuff, especially in the area of my finances. And here's what Jesus says. Jesus says that pagans, non-faith-oriented people, pagans, People that do not look at God as a creator. Pagans. People that do not follow Jesus. They literally run after stuff. They run after the next thing. They run after money. It's what drives them. It's what's their master. It's what they serve. But Jesus says, not so with his followers. Not so. We don't run around like the pagans. What we recognize is, and this is such a faith-oriented thing, that I financially begin to trust God that He's a God that's going to meet my needs. And again, it does not mean that you're foolish financially. It doesn't mean that you ignore things financially. What it does mean that a Christ follower looks to God as their source, God as their supply, and they live that way. It's how they live. Not only do they live that way, they give that way. So who's my master? Who am I serving? Well, here's what I know. Here's what I know. Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart is. So if all of my money is spent on me, if all of my money is saved for my pleasure, my stuff, my kids, my whatever, if it's all about me and my world, and you would even say to yourself, you know what, Pete, I'd be willing to give to the kingdom of God once I buy X. Once I buy X, once I get that last chunk of stuff, once I do that, then I'll be willing to invest in things that are moving towards eternity with Jesus. But you're just going to have to wait till I buy X. Here's what Jesus said. That's how pagans live. Jesus says, don't live like that. Make a choice that we will live as followers of Jesus, as a group of people, that when we look into the financial realms of our life, we're willing to say that I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust Him. And that what's going to be my master isn't the latest thing that Corinth says you need to buy. It's not going to be the latest thing that culture says you have to have in order to have peace in your life. How many times have you seen commercials on television that the idea is, is if you buy this thing, you're going to have the best relationship. If you put on these clothes, you're going to feel like you're the man. And all of us know it's not, not true, and yet it can become our master. And how does it look? In the first century church, this first group of followers of Jesus, the first ones, many of whom, who knew him when he was in physical form, and some of them even met him when he was in resurrected form, that after Easter they literally knew that Jesus of Nazareth was truly the Messiah. He was truly the Son of God. What does it look like financially for them to live out what Jesus taught in the Gospel of Matthew? The idea of where your treasure is, your heart is. 
The idea of you can't serve two masters. Man, you're going to be enslaved by one or enslaved by the other. And if your stuff has enslaved you, you're not moving towards God as you should be. And listen, if you look at finances and you recognize it's all about you, Jesus says that's how pagans live. Don't live like that. So what does it look like for this first century church? The original group of people who literally knew Jesus and walked with Jesus. What does it look like as they walk out finances? Because finances are such a representative of where our heart is and what we love and what has mastery over us. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. This is what it looked like in Corinth. This is what it looked like in that Las Vegas mixed with the party scene of Miami, mixed with all the other stuff and that huge rush of financial wealth. Here's what it looked like in the first century church, those people that actually knew Jesus and walked with Him. Here's what it looks like. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. Here's what it looked like. The Apostle Paul writes to this church in the middle of Las Vegas. He writes, on the first day of every week, I guess they got paid once a week. On the first day of every week, here's what he writes, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. In other words, what the Apostle Paul is trying to teach his people is that followers of Jesus, when they sit down and they look at their finances, they begin to set aside on the first day of the week. It's the first thing you do. You look at what it's going to take to live, and you set aside a prayed-over, God-directed, Jesus-informed sum of money, and you set that aside, and that is your offering to God. You would say, never thought about this before. I want to encourage you to do that. And the reason why I'm saying this is that I know, I know it in my bones that we have people here. You love Jesus. You want to follow Jesus. But stuff is your master. What culture says you need to have is your master. And Jesus stands there and says, there's a better way. There's a better way to do this. And the Apostle Paul, with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, begins to set out a simple way for followers of Jesus to live, where on the first day of every week, we set aside a sum of money that is going to be used to investing in eternal things. Where we're choosing to invest in the stuff that has eternity in it instead of living for ourselves and the stuff that Corinth says we have to have. Let me put it this way. We are Christians, not Corinthians. We are followers of Jesus. And that informs how I see my body. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. My body avoids certain things and moves towards others because of Jesus. These hands, these feet 
are the body of Christ called to bring hope and healing to the people of Charlottesville. Then when it comes to my finances, and I know this is a huge struggle for some of this, and my question is, why is it a struggle? Why? Because we live in Corinth. And Corinth demands that you do certain things with your finances. And yet Jesus appears to us. Jesus stands before us and He says this, the pagans run after those things. Don't do that. Your heavenly Father knows what you have need of. What you need, God will supply. But if we're running after all the stuff of Corinth, it won't be long before our lives will be sideways and before it's all about me and my passions and my wants and my desires. So the Newer Testament says this about those first people that followed Jesus, that on the first day of the week, they would set aside a sum of money they would set aside money that was a clear statement that they are trusting in God. They would set aside a sum of money that was a clear statement that Corinth will not win. It's a clear statement that God is the one that supplies and that He is the one that meets my needs. He's the one. I'm well aware that this sermon's been challenging for many. But you know what I believe? I've seen it in my own life in so many ways. When I hear the voice of God, when I understand Scripture and I move towards it, God helps me. He gives me wisdom. He gives me strength. He gives me the connections maybe to people who can help me move down this road. But I know that the Jesus way is the better way. Will you stand with me as we move towards a close? As we close our eyes, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, but this morning you believe that this morning's the morning that you need to choose Him. Maybe even sitting through this message, even though it really isn't geared straight at you, you've looked at it and thought, you know something? I'm a person that needs Christ. If that's you, I want to encourage you right now to take a moment and to say yes to Jesus. That you would come to Him by faith. That you would repent of your sin. You would repent of the direction that you've been going. Maybe you would say, you know what, Pete? I'm a pagan. I know I'm a pagan. I've lived the life of a pagan. And I'm done. There's got to be a better way. I want to encourage you right now to turn by faith towards Jesus. You'd open up your heart to Him and you'd pray a simple prayer that would go something like this. Jesus, I don't know everything there is to know about You, but I know that I need You in my life. So Jesus, I come to You with everything that I am, my sin, my brokenness, my dysfunction, my selfishness, my greed. I bring it all to You. And I ask You, 
that you would take me just as I am. But in faith, I confess all of those things. But I'm asking, Jesus, you would not leave me the same. But that I would be one of those that is the body that now has the Holy Spirit within it. Jesus, make me one of these Jesus followers whose body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, thank You for saving me. Jesus, thank You for redeeming me. Thank You for buying me with a price that I could be freed up from my debt to sin. And I pray it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And now as we continue with our eyes closed but our hearts open, what about our physical bodies? Are we willing to view them with godliness? Are we willing to move towards health and whatever baby step that might look like, are we willing to allow our bodies to honor God? To move away from some things and begin to walk towards some things. But that we would do it in godliness and that the view of our bodies would not be set by culture or by Corinth but it would be set by a God who's created us in His image and that we would move towards health. If you would make that commitment, I would like for you just for a brief moment to whisper a prayer to Jesus, asking Him to help you and to give you wisdom in this direction. Jesus, help us. Help us that our physical bodies would move towards health and would be Your hands and feet of hope and healing in this world. And then last is our finances. Jesus, forgive us. Forgive us by being mastered by stuff. Forgive us for letting Corinth, for culture, being the master of what we do with our money and how we invest. Lord, help us to be a group of people who every week set aside a sum of money that we will set aside for You as an offering, as an investment to Your kingdom. And Jesus, in that, we trust You for all of it. That You will meet our needs. And help us to be a people that soon discover we can do more on 90% of what we have with You than we can with 100% of our finances in our own strength. So Lord, thank You for Your Scripture. Thank You for how it challenges us. Help us to get real. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's worship together. i 
Give us your grace and your peace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You can stay in worship or slip out quietly. If you would like prayer, come forward. The prayer team will be here to pray with you and pray for you. God bless you. Thank you. 